I'm Omar Issa, and welcome to Culture Study. In this episode, we speak with Maysoon Zayed, a renowned comedian, actress, and writer who's dedicated her life to fight for disability rights and inclusion. Maysoon's TED Talk, I Got 99 Problems, Palsy is Just One, is one of the most viewed TED Talks of all time. She's tap danced on Broadway, written a best-selling memoir called Find Another Dream. She's co-starred with Adam Sandler on the big screen, and amongst so many other accolades, Maysoon has toured the world doing what she loves, being a comedian. I hope you enjoy this episode of Culture Study. If you do, please do me a huge favor and share it with one other person who would enjoy it as well. You can also tag us on Instagram when you tune in. Our handle is at Culture Study. Thank you so much. Peace. Maysoon, um, welcome to, to Culture Study. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? I'm so glad that you got the memo that we had to wear black today. So, <laughs> we were yeah. tele- we were we were coordinating uh, telepathically. We were telepathically, we were like darkness imprisoning me. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I guess for for context, you know, Maysoon and I connected actually through Verizon Media, which is the work that I do um, with diversity and inclusion, and we were super super blessed and honored to have Maysoon uh, join us for a panel along with Judy Human and Ram, who is our, our global head of diversity. It was an incredible panel. Um, and after the panel, I just kind of followed up with Maysoon. Started, we started chatting a little bit and, and told her a little bit about uh, culture study and was obviously thrilled that she you know, uh, is taking the time to join us today. So Maysoon, thank you so much. Welcome to the show again. Um, and so I'm so excited to have you and glad we connected. I'm super excited and I have no idea what the show is about. <laughs> I just don't like at this point in, in pandemic world, I show up to places and I'm like, what am I talking about? So what am I talking about? What is culture? Yeah, no, culture what's, study. Yeah, no, I love what is, it. So what is culture study? So culture study um, started a few years ago um, and it, it was prompted from when I was in college with two of my brown brothers, both Latino, one is, one is black and Salvadorian, the other is Salvadorian, Guatemalan, we're all kind of first gener- generation Americans. Mm-hmm. And we basically, you know, didn't see people who looked like us, you know, anywhere in, anywhere in media or portrayed in a positive way, to be honest. And so we decided to start documenting ourselves and documenting our journey. And so we were able to connect with some incredible people along the way. And, you know, at, at a certain point, I think in 2018, we realized, hey, like we have these photo shoots, these kind of conversations we're connecting with people on are terrific. Why don't we document those? And so that's kind of where Culture Study was founded. Um, You know, it's really just um, an opportunity for for me to connect with those who inspire me. Who's the coolest person that you guys have connected with yet? Oh, man. Honestly, every single person has been pretty incredible. Um, I don't know if you know who who would like impress me. Who would impress you? Do you know who Dina Takuri is? She's She's amazing. She's yeah. So she's someone who's been on the show. Um, Bilal Hamid is a really brilliant. He's a a soccer player. He's actually the first um, first Muslim soccer player on the U.S. national team, the U.S. men's national team. Um, We've had uh, folks from you know kind of all walks of life: photographers, uh, Adrian Walker, Jordan Nicholson, um, Daisy Dominguez. Did you have have Ibtihad Muhammad yet? No, but she's actually someone that I need to have on the show. Need to have her. Ibtihad. Because I just happen to have her Barbie sitting right next to me, so um. I love it. No, honestly, she's she's actually someone on my on my list of people who inspire me, who I would love to connect with. Can Can you imagine what that was like for me to see the Ibtihad Barbie to know that a so visibly visibly prominent 
Muslim woman is now a Barbie and she's like fierce and has a sword and it's not <laughs> being used to stereotypically behead people it's being used to win gold medals. It's incredible because that didn't exist. I mean, you know, I think when either of us were really growing up. Um, well, we had Muhammad Ali. We, we did have Muhammad was, Ali. He was a man. But for me, I always, you know, I'm not going to let you ask any questions. I'm just going to talk about what I want to. Please. For me, for me growing up, we had Muhammad Ali. We had a guy named Akim Olajuwon. And we had, we had Kaj. We had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right. Yeah. You know, so with those three powerhouses, I had something, but it wasn't a woman. Right. So, so, so having Ipti Hajj, how is that kind of, how do, I mean, what does that do for you now? And what do you think that does for, for younger, you know, girls, Muslim girls, black girls, uh, just women of color in general, girls of color? I'm so proud of her and I'm so proud of her talent and her uniqueness and her power. And it means so much to me to see a strong, powerful, independent, free Muslim woman but it breaks my heart to see the unbelievable amount of racism and bigotry this national hero is subjected to because she is a black woman in hijab. Yeah. You know, being Muslim in Donald Trump's America is a nightmare, a nightmare. I tell people, like, I get threats all the time. There are people who sit in their basements who are like, you know who I'm going to kill? The disabled funny chick. That's who I'm going to kill. Like, yeah. you have a president that incites people to chant, send her back about people who look like me and people who look like the hedge. And the thing is, even though I face a lot of discrimination, I face less than my sisters who visibly wear the hijab and have a visible signal that they're Muslim. I always say I could be the lost Kardashian <laughs> easily, easily. Yeah. Yeah. So people don't know when they see me. They know I'm brown, right? They think maybe she's a Kardashian, maybe she's a Mexican. We're not sure. But when you see a woman in hijab, you know that she's Muslim. And when you see a black woman in hijab, it's like a clash of the darkest, most racist instincts in people lash out. And I just, I love her so much and I wish her all the best. I'm so proud of her. And I hope that we can create a society where people like she and I don't feel threatened. And she's never said that. I'm saying that as someone watching from the outside in, I can't imagine what the battles were. I know the battles that got her to the Olympics, but I don't know what it feels like to win for America and have people treat you like you're not American. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, the more famous she's gotten, the more backlash she's gotten. And so yeah. I think that's a, it's what an incredible, incredibly challenging thing to navigate. Um, and same for you, I, I, I'd imagine. So, you know, and we're going to dive into your story a little bit, but, I, but, you know, I, I can't imagine your experience either. I'm sure it's incredibly mine, difficult as well. Mine was so easy. It was so <laughs> unbelievably easy until I made it. The hell began when I made it. You know, people always want me to tell, like, tell us a story of struggling to become a comedian. And I'm like, well, I paid some money for a comedy class. I was so good that I got hired during my third class and I never <laughs> struggled. And here I am. So, like, I just really didn't struggle to get where I was. It was when I got where I was 
because I was a person that didn't ever break into that world, that's when it all started happening. So to right. backtrack for your audience, I have cerebral palsy. The doctor who delivered me was drunk. I was born on Labor Day. My birthday was Monday. My birthday is not belated. always. Thank you. It's not always on Labor Day. Sometimes it moves, but that year it was. And he was drunk and I lost oxygen and it resulted in a neurological disorder. My brain is damaged. And the part of my brain that controls coordinations, the messages from my brain to my body go in all different directions. So cerebral palsy manifests itself differently in everyone. Some of us are nonverbal. Some of us are wheelchair users. In my case, I shake all the time. So I'm mobile. I walk independently. I'm verbal, even though I'm very slurry. And it took no less than 22 years of voice coaching to get as developed um, as I am. But I shake all the time. And strangely, I cannot explain this. I have no explanation. Growing up, I knew I was disabled. I knew I was different. And I had no idea that it was a big freaking deal. Mm. My parents treated me the same way they treated my sisters. If I couldn't do something, nobody shamed me. Nobody made me feel bad. They found like the variation that I could do of whatever we were doing. My friends didn't bully me. They didn't make fun of me. They didn't leave me behind. They waited for me. They put me on the back of their bikes so that I could like move faster. Like it never occurred to me that it was such a big deal. And then when I went to college, that's when people started seeing me and discriminating against me. So I had an English teacher, English 101, came up to me and at the top of their lungs and because you're wearing headphones, I'm not going to be as loud as Kimberly Gilboy. <laughs> he said to me, do you know how to read? And I was like, douche nozzle. I'm at a university level 101 class. There's no way <laughs> that I would be here right now if I can't read. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was in college that first I was discriminated against because Visually, people thought I was incompetent. I wasn't valid. I had no reason to be at a university. But also, and don't know, I don't have the reason for this. It's not medical. I never felt pain from my cerebral palsy when I was a kid. And when I got to college, I started feeling chronic pain. Every person with cerebral palsy I've talked to said they had pain their whole lives. Because if you do this for 24 hours, your joints are going to hurt. Right. But for some reason, I didn't feel any pain until I got to college. So I was being discriminated against. My disability got physically exhausting and painful. And then my dream in life was to be on General Hospital. So I was a theater major losing out for roles of people with cerebral palsy because the university didn't think that someone with cerebral palsy could play someone with cerebral palsy because, quote unquote, I couldn't do the stunts. And I said to them, if I can't do the stunts, neither can the character. And, <laughs> and then, the, you know, the department chief was like, get out before we expel you. And so it was Arizona State that woke me up to disabled discrimination, Muslim discrimination, brown people discrimination, and fear, um, 
fear of life as a woman. Right. You, you bring up but, some really great. But really importantly, I'm a, I teach at Arizona State University. I am a forks up, very proud sun devil. It was not ASU. It was college. Right. It wouldn't have mattered if I had gone to Harvard, Rutgers, or ASU. I just want to be really clear that that experience has been mirrored by every single person I talk about. People don't think that disabled people grow up. They think we're happy snowflake angel babies that jump off a cliff at 18. Mm -hmm. So like your medical services end at 18, you maybe leave your parents' house for the first time. And that's when you stop living in the bubble and the hate kind of penetrates it. So I just want to be really clear, it was not ASU. And you, you said something actually that I, I remember, I think from your TED talk, um, which by the way is incredible. And one of the things that I saw f- uh, from you, Maysoon, very early when it first... Did you see it before or after you saw me live? Before. I, I've, mm. I think it circulated around my family, like, was it maybe like 2015, somewhere around then? I love that. Yeah, so yeah. Cute. No, so I I have known about you for a really long time, and actually, when you know we were we were looking at who to bring on to the panel, your name was brought up, and I was like, I know who Maysoon is. Like, this is you know what I mean. Like, I I've followed her for from her TED talk. So, um, you mentioned something in that TED talk, and it was that you you didn't really deal with those issues of of kind of discrimination growing up, and you said it wasn't until college. You also said that you made it out alive, quote unquote but you don't know if you would have made it out alive without social media or with, with so- social media, with social media. Right. And so yeah. I'm just curious if you wanted, if you can expand on that a little bit in terms of your experience, because social media is a whole new world. Um, that's obviously affected you. You, you just mentioned, you know, getting death threats from people sitting in their basement. And so I can't imagine, you know, dealing with the discrimination by itself, but then even further with, from people that you don't even know people around the world that are just calling you out and, so the social media thing is a comment is a combination of three different things one is the bullying and the threatening and the discrimination which we'll get to but the reason i tell this story is i believe that if my parents were constantly posting my struggles and achievements online that it would have destroyed me. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm constantly seeing these viral videos of like, captain of a football team takes wheelchair user to the prom. Um, McDonald's worker feeds disabled blind man a French fry. And these, these videos go viral and the audience cheers them. And what we call it is inspiration porn. It's when people broadcast disabled people doing normal everyday things and because there's a hero who's nine disabled in that the video goes viral the disabled person is is erased their permission is not asked and whatever greatness they have achieved is being dismissed as look at that brave disabled person instead of holy s that dude can play piano and he's blind. You know what I mean? Instead it's, I cried nonstop at the blind guy doing a cartwheel. (laughs) And the idea, go, go look at it. Go look at the girl with cerebral palsy walking up the stairs the first time. Watch the thousands and thousands of comments of people crying and of people cheering. If tomorrow that girl feels, I can't walk up the stairs, 
it hurts too much. Does she get to disappoint her parents? Mm. Does she get to not perform like a seal for that video? Will mommy and daddy love her and be just as happy if they don't have the triumphant video of her walking to post? I'm really blessed and lucky. My father wanted to teach me how to walk. My body complied. He would dangle a dollar bill in front of me and have me chase it. If you broadcast that video, half the people would be crying and cheering, and half the people would be accusing my father of crimes against humanity, saying that he was sexualizing a small child, which he wasn't. I liked money, I chased it. It wasn't <laughs> nefarious. But people can take these things and make them nefarious. So, right. long story short, when I was 17, my parents couldn't afford physical therapy or occupational therapy, not because they were poor, they were upper middle class, but because disability is very expensive. And when we didn't have insurance for pre-existing conditions, people like me couldn't get physical therapy and occupational therapy. So I took piano and tap class. And my, my, 18, when my senior year in high school, I was 17, and I did a solo on point to Bette Midler's Wind Beneath My Wings. And I got a standing ovation. Now, had that video gone viral, people would have cried and clapped about me being inspirational. And I was, would assume I wasn't a good enough dancer. Mm. I wouldn't have chased the dream as a performer because I would have been thinking they're just clapping for me because they feel bad for me. They're just standing for me because I'm inspirational. It's not because I'm badass. It's not because my yeah. footwork is perfect. It's because I'm inspirational. And I wouldn't have had the gumption and the guts and the power to pursue it if I thought the only pe reason people laughed was because I was a Legolas beggar. The only reason people cheered was because they were so happy they weren't me. That's one side of it. The other side of it was the first time I ever got bullied. The first time I ever got bullied was in 2010. I went on Countdown with Keith Oberman with my idol, my captain, my icon, Keith Oberman, who I wouldn't have a career without. And the first night we were on, we were talking about Saudi Arabia and Sarah Palin. Hilarious. And when I got home, the internet was brutally making fun of me because Keith Oberman and I had never discussed my cerebral palsy. And people were so not used to seeing disability on screen right. that the nice ones were like, I think she's drunk. I think she's on cocaine. I think she may be having a stroke. People thought I was having a stroke because I'm all excited. I'm like, hey, and they're like, ah, she's having a stroke. <laughs> and then the not nice people said, I look like an honor killing gone wrong. And the one I will never forget, the very first night, the first television debut I had where I wasn't being interviewed about me. I've been on TV a lot but they were always interviewing me about like comedy shows I did or right. being Muslim post 9-11 in New York City. This was the first time that I was on TV talking about anything about other than myself. And they said, poor Gumby Mouth terrorist whore. We should probably pray for her. Wow. And I was like, oh my God. And then right after that, a guy, it was a guy, a guy said, her knees are so chunky. I can't watch it anymore. So the next week I got a call saying, come back on countdown. And I literally sat with myself and I was like, I don't want to go back on. 
I want to go to the comedy club where I'm the only person with a microphone, where I get heckled and I knock you the F down, where you paid to listen to me. Right. And you're paying to, you know, do this stuff. And I want to do that. And I don't, I, I, I have to wear pants because these people are going to make fun of my chunky knees. And then I was like, wait, wait a minute. The shot on Keith Overman was only from my waist up. This dude never saw my knees. Mm. I'm about to let 20 years of hard, dedicated work go down the drain because some freak I've never met in my life thinks I have chunky knees. I'm not going to let these total strangers tear me down. I'm not going to let them stop me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this. And I went out and I did it. And I would call their insults. I would put their insults on Twitter. And wow. I'd be like, Hey, I was on CNN today and someone said I looked like I was smacked beside my head with a frying pan. And the reason I did that was because these are all adults. These are adults bullying adults. We right. think of bullies as being kids. These are adults. And I wanted adults reading it to ask themselves, have you done that? Mm. Have you seen someone disfigured like J.R. Martinez? Have you seen someone struggling with a mobility device or an amputee like Tammy Duckworth and been like, oh, I can't watch. And if you can't watch disability, sit with yourself and figure out why. Right. Is it because you fear it? Is it because you were taught to be disgusted? Like, I'm disgusted by everything. Snakes, mayonnaise, whipped cream. Oh, my God. Anything that's, like, gloopy, like that slime that kids play with. I'm like, and I could see someone with no eyeball, and I'm like, sup, honey? Like people's bodies don't freak me out. They don't scare me. Disability doesn't disgust me. And I want people to figure out what is your damage that you can't see a twitching lip and still watch the show. Right. What's your damage? So I made it about them instead of me. I didn't give power to strangers to control me. And I created a persona online who is 100% a reflection of the real person, which you've met. And it was to say, I'm going to take the punches from the bullies. Why am I going to take the punches from the bullies? So that they don't have to. And yeah. so that they can watch when I get punched by a bully and I get right back up and I don't let it affect me. I don't let it tear me down. I don't feel ugly or chunky or the R word. I don't feel any of it because they have no power. Only I define me. Well, that's when they decide to cross the line and start threatening me. Yeah. And when it crosses the line into threats, it's a lot harder to brush off. Right. I guess I, I had two follow-ups to that. One is, I mean, very quickly, you, you, you kind of changed your, your whole mindset when you were referring to the Keith Oberman. Really quickly. It was, a split of, it was a split second decision and so I have, never looked back. Okay. So that's amazing. So throughout this, all of this time, you really not let it affect you. Essentially. I really, really not let it affect me at all. Yeah. Like at all. I've been called everything you can imagine and I don't let it affect me at all. Unfortunately, the threats do. And it's gotten me to really work hard politically, which I know everyone's afraid of politics, but I've definitely dedicated the last three years of my life to stopping misogyny being mainstreamed by the occupant of the White House, 
um, to call out the violence that's incited against people like me. But I can't lie to you. It's scary. Yeah. I'm a touring stand-up comic who goes on the road by myself all the time. People always know where I am publicly. I had to have bodyguards at Wright State University. I had to have bodyguards in Austin, Texas. I should never have to have bodyguards. And I can tell my little CP girls, go out there, don't care what anyone says about you. I can't tell them to go out and get killed. I can't. I can do it myself. If I took a bullet on stage, I'm never gonna stop talking. I'm never gonna let fear silence me. I just don't have the gene. I'm Palestinian, fear is my life. But I just don't wanna be kidnapped and put in someone's basement and forced to like pet gerbils. You know, cause that's what they do here. They don't just kill you quick. They keep you like a prize. And that's like my number one fear. And yeah. you know, women with disabilities are three times more likely to be assaulted than their non-disabled counterparts. So when I'm getting threats from anonymous people who I really, really hope are like 14 year old boys that don't know better and are looking for attention and mommy's going to catch their email and teach them right. I still know these people know how to find me every day. Right. I can't hide. I can't right. hide. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's incredibly strong and, of you. And I wasn't being threatened after 9-11. I wasn't being threatened in 2010. I wasn't being threatened in 2014 after my TED Talk went viral. And I turned down a lot of men who wanted to date me, which is something that sometimes invokes and incites violence. I only started getting threatened in 2015. Why would that be? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's why I'm saying like it was bullying yeah. up until that. And then suddenly the bullying crossed into the real world with threats and it was no longer easy to brush off. And that's why words matter. And yeah. that's why having someone who is violently misogynistic, who works crowds into a frenzy, to chant against minorities is really dangerous and right. not just funny. No, I, I agree with you. Um, I want to pivot a little bit because I think one thing you mentioned, well, number one, words matter. In addition to that, representation matters, right? And I think one thing that's stuck out to me over the past few years is the realization that um, you know people with disabilities make up 20% of the population, if not more, but represent how much? Less than 2%, 2%. of the media. So we're 2% of the images you see on media, 95% are played by non-disabled performers, 81% are white men. Wow. So yeah, this is the Ruderman Foundation, R-U-D-E-R-M-A-N. They did the white paper that has all the statistics that I like to ramble and they, they re-upped it and it, apparently the disability is skyrocketing and we're up to about 25%. And post-COVID, post that number is going to astronomically rise up because right. we only talk about COVID live, COVID die. We don't talk about COVID survive. And it, it's, it's apparent that there's lifelong disabilities associated with it. Yeah, that's very, very true. And I, you know, it, it, thinking about representation itself, you know, I, I started tailored heritage with like i said earlier with two of my brothers and 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 culture study 
because we didn't see people who looked like us in the media, because we didn't see people who looked like us portrayed in a positive way. And so, you know, is that, is that Beyonce? That's Beyonce. <laughs> Hi, Beyonce. Beyonce. I don't think she can hear me. Sorry, you were telling a really deep story about your brothers and culture. No, no, no. My cat came in, dude. I had yeah. to show her off. You got to show off the cat. Um, but no, I was just, I wanted to ask, you know, for, for me, it meant so much to, to, to have somebody, to have representation, you know, and, you know, as a brown Muslim boy, Syrian Indian. And so I want to, I want to follow up with you and, and kind of see, ask what are some, you know, very real doable steps that are, that need to take place in order to change that for the disability community? Well, first for the immigrant community and the brown communities, um, for the immigrant community, our, our parents have to let us be artists because we're supposed to be lawyers, doctors, and engineers, and we need people behind the scenes in the arts. We need writers, we need producers, we need actors on screen, but we need behind the scenes even more. So take Mr. Robot. Right. You know Mr. Robot? Yeah. Look at, look at that cast. Rami Malek, Rami Yusuf, Amar Metwadli, Kit, Kit, Kit. Why? Because their Miss Mayo wrote it. The robot characters weren't Arab, but he right. guessed a bunch of Arabs because he was the guy who wrote it. We need people. One, we need to boycott any movie where a visibly disabled role is being played by a non-disabled actor. Um, much like race, visible disability can't be played. The reason I use the term visible disability is we have no idea how many people have invisible disabilities on screen because the stigma is so strong against like mental health issues, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, lupus, that people don't reveal it. So I have no way of knowing who's disabled or not, who's playing a mental health issue that has a mental health issue. But with visible disabilities, it is inauthentic, it is cartoonish, and it is offensive to have a non-disabled person play that role. Because much like race, disability can't be played. And I use two examples. We talked about my mouth a lot. If you have to watch an actor imitate how my mouth moves side by side with me, you would find it grotesque, insulting, cartoonish, clownish, offensive, and inaccurate. But when you watch them in a vacuum, it looks great to you. Rain Man looks great. Forrest Gump looks great. What's Eating Gilbert Grape looks great. But disabled people watching it see how cartoonish and offensive it is. See how inappropriate it is. And you're sending a message to children. If every time they see disability on screen, that person is miraculously healed on the red carpet, mm. we're telling them that you don't belong unless you can fix yourself. And the amount of stuff that disabled people do trying to fix themselves, which is detrimental and harmful, is like endless. And so we're telling people you're not welcome by having them not portrayed. We're like cartooning and stereotyping them. Like I always joke, disabled characters only get to have three stories. Um, you can't love me because I'm disabled. Heal me or kill me. And I'm dead serious. Dead. Ha, ha There's a bunch of movies that 
like me before you and million dollar baby where the disabled people get the people they love to kill them and then the dis the people left behind their lives are so much better and so much richer and like they finally escaped the disabled body and these images are really harmful because you're teaching disabled people who might have abusive families who might be a financial burden that they're better off dead and that has real life consequences so i think we need to boycott anything that is not being portrayed by a disabled person i think we need to promote universal design in every single thing we do so if you're doing a potluck make sure to pick a place that a wheelchair could get in if you're designing a studio make sure that it's universally designed for accessibility accessibility makes every space easier for everybody yeah. making a space accessible does not make it harder for non-disabled people to navigate it there's nothing that we're adding that makes your life hell nothing yeah. you're just making it easier for other people but we go to to theater schools and it's not wheelchair accessible you go to universities and they say you're required to do a lighting draft design well guess what i don't have coordination i can't do that i literally couldn't get a certain major under theater i had to take a different major because i couldn't do that one class and we pretend that the americans with disabilities act which was signed 30 years ago is enforced but it's not i went just for giggles because i used to in the before time when we were allowed outside i used to do a lot of university shows and i walked around the university one day and pushed every single um disabled access button on the doors every single one out of 100 buttons 96 didn't open wow that's insane it was absolutely like just so it makes you really feel for the students, right? Because most of them have never advocated for themselves before going to college. Their parents mm -hmm. advocated for them. And now they're in a world where I have had to fight professors. I tell disabled kids all the time, if your professor's being a douche, email me. Um, knows, I'll get back to them. I really <laughs> will. It might take me 72 hours because I watch a lot of TV. Um, but i'll get back to them and i have had professors tell me over and over if i send them written notes it's an unfair advantage and i'm like dude they're deaf you're refusing to wear the mic you need to send them notes right. so like in 2020 i am fighting educators i am fighting professors to provide accommodations because they still think it's an unfair advantage they still can't understand that it levels the playing field. Why? Because most teachers are given no disability training or right. like one day where they put a blindfold on you, throw your ass in a wheelchair and call you Helen Keller. That was funny. I, I know, but it's sad. You <laughs> it know, is. It's but sad. you know what I'm talking about. They're not getting the training. Yeah. yeah. They're not having that one week of you're going to get an autistic person 
whose needs are completely different than the deaf person, whose needs are completely different than the chronic pain person. Right. Chronic pain is a real thing. You can't necessarily sit up for eight hours in a lab if you have chronic pain. And that doesn't mean that you won't be the best, you know, um, astronomist that ever lived. No, I, I, I agree with that 100%. I also know you have what three minutes left. I do. Uh, I, know, I have three. Minutes I know. I know left. you've got to run to. Um, I, I accidentally bookend my zooms and never give myself time. So I was like four minutes late to you. I was eight minutes late to the one right before you, but the one right after you, I have to be two minutes early. No, I have to be the first one in the room and be like, "I'm ready for my close-up." Well, that's a big call, isn't it? Okay, we'll keep you quiet. But she's doing Let's some big go, things. Let's go, Mets. Okay, so I want to ask maybe two last questions if you want to sum them up uh-huh. for me really quickly. One is, sure. life is crazy, pre-COVID, post-COVID, well, not post-COVID, during COVID and probably sure. post-COVID. How do you stay balanced? Is it faith? Ah, is it- I'm not balanced. <laughs> I'm just not. I love it's that. So funny. Everybody asks me, how are you doing? And this is my, my go-to answer. I am the most productive I've ever been in my career. And the rest of the time I sit in a corner, rocking, crying, eating Doritos, petting my cat Beyonce, and then getting really mad at myself that I got Dorito dust on her and not knowing how to get it out because I can't <laughs> go to the groomers. Um, so I have no balance. I, I gave myself to the pandemic in like mid-May after about six weeks of quarantine and just seeing people going out without masks and all these mass gatherings and people just right after Memorial Day when people started going out, I was like, I'm never going to go out again. So I'm going to embrace the bonkers and yeah. I just embrace the bonkers. I do stuff like this. Like people are like, I need you an hour. I'm like, I got 45 minutes. <laughs> and I do stuff like at three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, Ivanka Trump, you meet me at the field at 12 a.m., you know? And people are like, she's so funny, she's a comedian. And I'm like, I get away with everything. Um, <laughs> but I condemn violence by anyone at any time. Thank you for saying that loud and clear. Well, I have to, I'm brown, right? We yeah. have to condemn it by anyone at any time. 100%, and I also want to point out that I think eating Doritos in the corner sounds like balance to me. So thank you for like answering this. that question. <laughs> Um, no, it's, uh, it's when I get the Dorito dust in the cat that it fails. That's it's it all balanced and good until she has like orange fingerprints on her back. And I'm like, I did that to you, mommy. <laughs> I'm a bad mommy. This is why God didn't give me kids. And I'm alone <laughs> in a pandemic. But thank God I don't have to send kids to school. So that's good. And that's basically what it looks like. It is not any form of balance. It's yeah. survival. It's survival. Yeah. I think that's that's um, that's necessary at this point. So um, I want to leave the last words to you. Um, I don't no, know. No, I want your else. final question. Fine. Okay, final question. Um, well, how do you? So this is looking looking in the future, looking back at life, and looking at everything you want to accomplish. Um, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as the woman that mainstreamed disabled students worldwide into a free, affordable education system. And that no disabled student was left behind. I love that. That's super powerful. Thank you um, so it's much a for your big goal. There's 60 million, 60 million girls out of school alone. Wow. And that's not even counting disability. So we have some big, but 
you know, inshallah, inshallah, I'll have 50 years of being stuck in my house to work on this. <laughs> <laughs> inshallah. Um, I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, so my last me. word, yeah. um, if you're down and feeling blue, go to maysoon.com. Like the month of May is coming soon, maysoon.com. It has every video clip I've ever done of anything anywhere. It has a really funny blog and it has on the whole page of pictures of Beyonce the cat. And um, also buy my book. I wrote a book called Find Another Dream. I was on the bestseller list for six weeks. I beat Donald Trump Jr. Congratulations. One of the I was on the list. I was six, he was nine. And I was like, I don't even have an admitted sexual predator promoting me on his Twitter. So please buy my book, Find Another Dream. It's on Audible. But don't worry if you can't hear. There's a downloadable PDF. I make sure that every single thing um, I do is accessible. And please, please, if you're in the United States citizen over the age of 18, vote. Thank you for, for your time. Thank you for dropping these gems. I can't wait to listen back to this and, and share it with, with the world. So, Maysoon, best of luck. I hope you have, you know, uh, safe and productive continuously. And I hope you find that balance. Um, and we'll be rooting for you um, on the sidelines. I'm palsy. So. I'm palsy. I'll never find balance. <laughs> I was born to wiggle and, you know, do that. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much. And, um, and talk to you soon.